0: are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions if so welcome to my podcast closing the gap with denise cooper i'm your host denise cooper and i am a storyteller i interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning And practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen, as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. If you've been following me on some of my other platforms as a guest or podcast host, or in my speeches, then you know that I have upped the conversation around HR and their ability to lead during disruptive times. Well, I've also talked to an increasing number of executives who are quietly disturbed that we have not made more progress in the area of women and diversity. And can you imagine my conversations with them when I say that according to the World Economic Forum, it's going to take over 200 years for women to reach a level of equality in terms of pay and equity in the workplace. You can imagine what that is for black women or people of color, women of color, as well as black men who fall even lower on that scale. Well, I wanted to do something about it. And so on May 17th, I'm hosting the first ever HR masterclass. And during this masterclass, which is three hours in partnership with the Charlotte Sherm together, the participants and I are going to dig deep, on the area of leading during disruptive times. So if you're concerned about your leadership skills, the leadership skills of your executives that you are business partners with, or your team on how we're going to step up and break the cycle so that we can create high-performance, inclusive workplaces, join me on May 17th for a three-hour training so that we can figure this out and together we can close the gap. I met our next guest, Ian Chisholm, in my work as a mentor for an organization here in Charlotte called Innovate Charlotte. Innovate Charlotte has a vision to have a dynamic and thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem within the greater Charlotte area. They recruit mentors who will work with founders to help them scale their business. Ian was a speaker there, and I was so impressed with him. I thought, you have to hear his story. You have to understand what it means to be a mentor. Originally hailing from Saskatchewan, Ian Chisholm and his partner in life and business, Anne Marie Daniels, formed the Roy Group in 2004. The Roy Group is a boutique leadership development firm focused on equipping a complex world with its next generation of leaders whom Ian calls mentors. Ian was a former CEO in Europe. He guided the challenging operational startup of award-winning Columbia 1400 International Leadership Center on the Isle of Skye, Scotland. It was on Skye where Ian co-created the Gemini Project, which brought together executive leaders from the UK's financial sector with young leaders from the tough socioeconomic realities of Glasgow. The Gemini Project became a fixture in the leadership development initiatives of Ernst and Young, Halifax Bank of Scotland, the Royal Bank of Scotland, and Lloyd's TBS, Prior to his adventure on the Isle of Skye, Ian served as the Director of Programs for the Operational Enterprise, a division of the American Management Association International headquartered in New York City. It was here that Ian and his team played an integral role in, with the United States Postal Service of bringing young talent from the inner city to experience a formal leadership development program. His greatest fulfillment comes from seeing the impact in communities where honorable people from all walks of life cross the threshold from leadership to mentorship. Listen as Ian and I talk about the essence of what it takes to be a great mentor. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are and hearing the sound of my voice. You are listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. And this is a place where you have aspirations. You come, you listen to my guests, and they help you understand where you are now and where you want to be. And then we try to give you actionable items on how to close the gap and so that you can live the most remarkable life that you can. I want to start this uh, podcast with something interesting. We live within these times right now where we seem to be polarized and, and then my clients and the people that I talk to, some of them have a fear of saying the wrong thing because we don't know what's going to happen. And it breaks relationships. It causes strife in the workplace. It's just tough. And as you know, I recently published a book, Remarkable Leadership, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. And it's filled with ideas on what you can do to take ideas to the next level. Well, my guest today is Ian Chisholm. And he is the co founder of the Roy Group up in Vancouver. And today, he and I are going to talk specifically about navigating tough conversations and what we can do, what you can do, how you can learn to to up your game on building stronger relationships that allow you to work with people who are very different than you or have no reason to work with you, which basically is kind of the workplace, isn't it? So, with that, Ian, how you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: I am honored and thrilled that you're here with me. So I always like to start with a little bit of the person in it, but when I looked at your background, obviously it's exceptional in terms of where you what you've done and the organizations that you've had impact in, but it left me wondering, how did you get into this work and how would you describe it to somebody you met on the bus? Hmm.
1: Well, the answer of how I got into this work is very simple, and that's that I didn't get into med school. Okay. And instead, because I was in a bit of a void, I had worked in the summers before university with the American Management Association, and they picked me up as an intern, and I was able to kind of pivot from university and just start a very entry-level job with the American Management Association, thinking that I would just kill a few years Mm -hmm. until I could regather and do what I thought I was meant to do. And, of course, where I landed was full of incredible people, and I loved the work, and I loved the difference that it made. And here I am, almost 30 years later.
0: And so if you met somebody on the bus, how would you describe what it is you do?
1: I guess what I normally say on the bus to people is that I do leadership development, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people, including... Uh, a lot of good managers and bosses doing leadership development every day. So that's the, that's, that's what I say. But if I was specific about the work that we do, it's really helping leaders make that transition from being a leader to being a mentor. Mm. And we get, I personally just get a lot of energy and satisfaction from seeing people make that cross that threshold and kind of have that other aspect as part of their weekly efforts.
0: When you say that, are there some people who shouldn't be leaders or mentors?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there is. Like everything, there's, you mentioned polarization, and I'm I'm sure that our human history is littered with examples of people that had an incredible influence on somebody else that made them a worse person.
0: Mm. So, what are the qualities of of what we should be, what we should say as a good leader? You know, because leadership, you're right, the leadership industry is some $180 billion market only in the US alone here. So, it's huge. And there's a lot of people out here, quote unquote, teaching leadership skills. Sure. But I don't know that we often step back to say, what is the job of a leader? What is the criteria to be a leader? How, do, how should we be selecting leaders in organizations, whether they're for-profit, not-for-profit, or public sector? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's start back way back at, and why should we develop these folks? What is, what's in it for us? So talk from that perspective of mm. what's the quality? What is, it, what is it that we're trying to achieve?
1: Well, I think, I mean, every generation has this responsibility to look at the generation that's coming after it and identify and help to develop those people that are going to create the most good. Mm -hmm. And they're going to create the most good first and foremost by being highly aware of themselves and the impact that they have and the potential for impact that they have. That's, I think, what we notice first if we're trying to help somebody become a leader. The second step is about making it very, very clear that it's a choice. Leaders aren't born. I don't even know if they're made. I know that some people choose it, even though it's not an easy road. Mm -hmm. Uh, In its finest form, it's about sacrifice and service, more so than status and being impressive. Mm -hmm. At that point, I think we watch for people who are able to occupy the ground. And what I mean by that is that there's something about the way that they conduct themselves, that even when things are uncomfortable or moving sideways, they're very solid and steady and while everyone else is seeing the world through an adrenaline-fueled fog, they're still able to maintain that poise under pressure. Mm-hmm. And then we notice them affecting the field. The things they say and the things they do, not only in the in the prime moments, but in the in-between moments. Because we're always watching each other. That's how human beings learn, is that yeah. we just pick up on little cues, little signals about who people really are. So we watch for somebody with a set of behaviors that really makes good things happen. And lastly, we know that the only thing that a leader ever leaves behind is a story,
2: mm-hmm. a
1: collection of stories. And so in looking to the generations coming up next, we we pay attention to who are these people that have begun that process of unfolding incredible stories in the world. That normally gives us gives us some criteria for who we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then the process starts of developing them to be more and more and more of who they've always been.
0: You know, that's very interesting. I, I like to say is the stories are, you know, remarks and who are we constantly quoting and saying and emulating because we learn how to be with each other by what we watch and see how of course. you treat other people. Of course. Um in the process. And I wanna go back a little bit because one of the things you said was that we we want to see people, we should be looking for people who are about doing good. Mm-hmm. And we live in a, a, a time when it's kind of fuzzy over what is good. I mean, we've got people for and against climate change, whether it's real or not real. In my country, you know, you've probably heard about it, whether it's George Floyd and the way the police mm-hmm. treat marginalized or traditionally diverse communities, even down to how much money should a CEO make? in comparison to and so this compass of what is good is a little blurry right now
1: yeah it's true and it would be wonderful if we had some way to measure it uh, you know just a temperature that would tell us is this is this for the sake of good in the world or is this for the sake of uh, making things worse for the people around us Uh, there's only two glimpses that i've ever had into measurement Mm -hmm. one was the example of nelson mandela Mm -hmm. And there's something about what happened inside him over the course of those 27 years on Robben Island that somehow he developed a capacity in his heart to care deeply for millions of people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I would say, you know, a continent of people. And I think that's a very interesting measurement that separates for me to see who are the people that I want to follow and who are the people that I I don't want to follow is, how many people is their heart capable of caring for? Mm. And if it's one, and we have some recent examples of that, I, I think I know how I feel about that person and whether I want to emulate them in any way or follow or trust or anything they say. When I meet somebody who over time has crafted this very deep tissue ability to actually care for hundreds or thousands or millions of people... I realize there's something there that I can emulate and learn from, and uh, try to understand more to follow. And that's so if, one.
0: Okay. But but if I hear you, just so that I'm clear, what you're talking about is individuals who, in their heart, want to see the common good, or and common may not be the right point or the right word, maybe, but it's this idea of the good for the whole versus the good for myself sure. or a yeah, smaller no, group it. that pits against. The whole. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah.
1: No, they, they understand that leadership is not just about making things happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's about designing our endeavors so that good things happen, but we're also developing people along the way. This it's like bifocals that leaders have to look into everything. It's not just the result. It's the quality of which we just delivered combined with the capacity that we developed along the way. So when you care for let's, let's bring it down a league. If you care about thousands of people, then you want thousands of people to go from strength to strength Mm -hmm. and to have joy in their life and happiness in their life and safety in their life and security in their life so that they can enjoy life. The second measurement that has helped me kind of see who is a really potent leader and who's not is the number of people who refer to them as a mentor. Mm -hmm. We have a little conviction in our firm that the word mentor is a gift word. And we talked about this. I've talked about this with you before that somebody else gets to choose whether or not they refer to us as a mentor. Mm -hmm. It's up to them. That's the nature of the word. And the word creates more good in the world. If we keep it on the shelf where grandma keeps the gift words, you know, Mm -hmm. it's special. Mm -hmm. That's a special moment when somebody refers to you as a mentor. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, uh, you can quickly see when you observe leaders over time, over months or years, you can quickly kind of identify that number of people that refer to them as a mentor. Some maybe don't work with them anymore, Mm -hmm. but you suddenly hear or overhear something and they obviously hold that person in that regard.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Just keep count. That, That to me is a pretty good barometer if someone is actually leading well rather than just, uh, you know, using the mantle of leadership for the power that it often is combined with.
0: It's an interesting perspective in terms of, are they a mentor? One of the companies that I work for, we really were focused on developing leaders, but we had to figure out how to measure those leaders, Mm. right? And it was around much of the same things that you're saying in terms of how do we discern that somebody is a good leader. And it really is about how do you create the most good and build capacity in others to do good uh-huh. and to do, to be able to, you know, there's decision making issues, there's problem solving issues and picking the right problem and calling it out, but allowing people to have measured risk and fail and, or maybe not make it perfect. So there's a uh-huh. lessening in that. But one of the things we did in one of the groups that we had, because we allowed each of the divisions to or companies to design what they thought was a good way to measure and reward leaders is that we asked we they asked a couple questions. And the questions really were, who did you want to work for? Mm, And the second question, yeah, and and whether a person and and so right there people knew who was calling out the best. And so of the leaders, the top 50% got an extra bonus, the bottom
1: 50% oh, wow.
0: replaced in, you know, they they had an opportunity to get a mentor, they could go back and they could figure out what exactly they needed to do to be better leaders. So we didn't punish them per se. We tried to help them give them the opportunity to make a decision to do better. The other one was is who's the person that you would go to for advice? Wow. And so those were kind of the two barometer questions mm. that we'd ask. To to see who people were, how people's networks were helping them. Were we fostering people to listen to other individuals to take advice from other vi- individuals? Who was passing names around of people who were good people to be able to do those kinds of things? And what we found over time was is that we were creating people who were great listeners. Mm-hmm as well as this idea of mentors. And I noticed that on, you know, in your work, one of the things that you talk about, particularly around your social impact work is you teach people how to listen and how to respond. Mm. What does it take to learn how to be a good listener? Because I find that an incredible skill, but a very difficult one to teach people.
1: Uh Yep, it's a big, that is a big question. At, At one level, I think there's a lot that goes on under the surface. Mm -hmm. And and what if you were watching me listen to somebody, what does it look like if I believe in that person's potential? Mm. Even if I've just met them, there's a human being in front of me and I sense there's a unique set of abilities inside this person. There's a there's a lifetime of experience. They've overcome adversity that we will never talk about. But all of that is in this conversation with us. And I'm actually curious. I believe that this person has a tremendous story behind them and incredible potential in front of them.
2: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: if I believe that, the actions that I take look different in terms of the way that I listen. Mm -hmm. The next next level for me is around the the practice of conducting yourself. Because when you think of the best listeners that you've ever met, my hunch is is that most of it's just habit for them now. Mm -hmm. They couldn't not listen to you that way. That's the way they show up in the world. They've they've ingrained that as a fundamental of their system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for me, and, and a lot of our work, when it comes to something as simple as listening, what we add to the mix for leaders to consider, particularly if they're getting ready to be mentors, is is a conviction that the way that I choose to conduct myself creates an atmosphere inside you. And I can't, shape that atmosphere, I can't change it, that just is, I conduct myself in a certain way, it creates an atmosphere inside you, but your brain then takes that atmosphere, whatever the sensation is in that moment, and our brains do what our brains do, and that's to make it mean something, Mm -hmm. and we come to a conclusion, Mm -hmm. so if I show up and I'm distracted, or maybe from a place of insecurity, I'm trying to send the message to you that I'm a, I'm a pretty big deal, Mm -hmm. I'm going to create an atmosphere inside you that feels rushed and inarticulate mm-hmm. and um, not thinking clearly and jumbled, and you're going to make that atmosphere mean, ah, I'm not as intelligent as I, as I wanted to be, or I'm not doing a good a job of explaining this as I wanted to. And that's it. In a matter of seconds, my conduct can be shaping what you believe about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lot of responsibility that leaders need to learn how to hold responsibly. Yeah, yeah. That that the way they conduct themselves even when they're tired. Mm-hmm. Even when they're frustrated, even when somebody says something that I don't understand, I am still responsible for the way that I conduct myself in this and the way that I conduct myself will actually influence where the conversation goes, and where the relationship ends. Yeah, ends up. So the biggest mistake that we see leaders make is that they underestimate the impact that their conduct has in any given situation. Mm -hmm. Then you can add the skills at that point, once people know the responsibility, once you know how, how, how sharp the sword is, Mm -hmm. you're more careful with it, and you want to be skilled with it. So then you can add the skills of Listening to understand, not respond, the five levels of listening, nonverbal, you know, all that good stuff that's on Google. Yeah, (laughs) those 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 pieces that are under the surface, they're not on Google. And that, I think, creates an incredible appetite for leaders to be skilled in terms of the way they listen.
0: So it's not only the listening and the impact. Tell me a time or a client that you worked with that. You know, it was a it was a tough situation. I mean, it could be anything from a performance review. You know, we like to think that performance reviews are not that big a deal, but they are a big deal. They Uh they do shape and define 2 you've worked with organizations, the Gemini Project that talked about how do you Mm -hmm. create aspiring leaders? And and what I was impressed with is the the part of it on your website that says and it was sustained, uh-huh. Because we put in a lot of projects, we put in a lot of training programs, but once the person who's kind of the 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 thought behind it, the influencer behind it, the power behind it, whatever you, the idea, a new CEO comes in often and, you know, whatever was there before, okay, sure. I got to put my name on it. Sure. How how do you have these conversations that are really tough? We're talking about changing people's belief systems in many cases. And mm. when I've been triggered because you don't believe like I believe, mm. how do I respond in a way that creates a sustainable organization? And you can break that question down into a smaller, larger piece as you want. I know I asked a lot, but yeah. th- this idea of, you know, how to listen and how to respond and the impact and where are we going with this is is something we don't hear a lot of people talking about.
1: You know, there, I'm, I'm thinking as you asked for some examples, there's just so many countless, countless examples with individuals, with teams, with organizations where somebody says something that I don't agree with. I mean, mm-hmm. people say the darndest things. <laughs> you know, you, you add a little bit of emotion and a little bit of history and you put them in a certain context. Well, who knows what they say? Yes. I mean, for a long time, my my go to was I just love Bruce Willis movies and I would just I just like the way he said things in Mm -hmm. the movie. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of thought I'm going to build that into my leadership. I'm going to be a person who hauls off and says something that's, you know, pretty aggressive once in a while just to let people know I'm in the room. Yeah. And that was a silly habit. I mean, that was such a silly habit. But in all of these situations, Denise, the one thing that comes to mind is that my wife is a mediator. Mm -hmm. And I have learned a lot from watching her and the way she works in the world. Mm -hmm. And one thing that she shared with me that I believe comes out of the Harvard Negotiation Project is a very simple expression that changed everything. And it was this, that understanding is not the same as agreeing.
0: Ah.
1: So I can put, you know, it, it... I can put effort into understanding what you just said and why you said it and what's behind it. And I don't have to agree with you. Mm -hmm. I think in our minds, we think if I put in that effort to try to understand somebody, they're going to think that I agree with them. Mm -hmm. But those are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Again, I can choose the way I conduct myself in that situation to put in the work to understand. We, We have an expression, am I a big enough person? To put the effort in to help my opponent be more articulate than they've ever been before.
0: Oh, my goodness. That is, say that again. That's a readable moment. But do say that one again. That is, that's deep.
1: I just think it's a big invitation. Am I a big enough person to put the effort in to help my opponent, in quotations, Mm -hmm. articulate themselves better than they have ever articulated themselves before? Oh, wow. I lose nothing by putting in that effort. Mm -hmm. And by honoring that, whatever that person said, even if what they said, offends me, Mm -hmm. that in a way that's very solid, and steady, and patient, I craft the kinds of questions that allow that person to explain why they just said what they said, what's underneath Mm -hmm. what you just said. And I want to know that. Because again, even though you might be somebody coming from this from the complete opposite angle. I want to put this effort in from one human being to another to help you say what you came here and you felt you needed to say because you've just said it in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But I don't need to call you on that. Right. I don't need to be right in that moment. I just need to create some space for you to explain. And what's very interesting, not always, but more often than not, if I create that space for you, you're curious wh- what I think about this topic. Mm-hmm. And then I can be ready to be as articulate as possible about why I believe the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And therefore, where our beliefs are different, and where they bump into each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That It's a lost art, sadly, for people to to be doing that. And it, it's also something that takes a lot of practice. Yeah, And when the world needs us to be masterful at it, It's too late to start practicing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have to start practicing right away, learning about this stuff and practicing it.
0: Well, the other side is, is that fortunately or unfortunately, another opportunity will always be coming around. My grandmother used to say all the time is, don't worry about that bus. There's going to be another bus right behind it. Uh, Just wait 20 minutes. It'll show uh, up. And And so... For me, that's what I when I work with people, I remind them that you don't have to be perfect in the moment. And that the point of practice is so that over time, the right bus will come along and you will be masterful at what you need to be in doing that. And so but it's also the thing that we rally against the most now because we are on this kick or this belief that we have to be perfect and say the right. right
2: word. Exactly. Right
0: or perfect, and we have That's to right. say the right words. We have to, you know, have the right quip. Your Bruce Willis example is oh. the perfect one of we're uh-huh. always searching on how I can shut the other person up with the sure. right thing or change their mind in an instant. Right.
1: To dazzle them with how right we are. Yes, yes, and I. Well, uh, and, and and you mentioned you mentioned the polarization right now. Now, mm-hmm. uh, and in Canada, we have. We have a lot of our, our own things that we are not proud of going on right now. Mm-hmm. A lot is coming to light ab- to light about just how very, very difficult life is in indigenous communities and for indigenous people across our country. Mm-hmm. And so we, are, we, are, we have our own struggles to try to make better. But that polarization that you talked about, our, our inability to do this, I think is what I see, it, it's taking a heavy, heavy price. And why I say that is that because in the last 14 months, we've seen the most capable country on earth when it comes to science and logistics. Mm -hmm. That's your country. Yes. We've seen the greatest, the most capable country on earth falter in the face of a challenge to use science and use public health policy and to use logistics to keep as many people alive as possible. Yes. That, I'm not judging that. I'm saying there's something very interesting there about what got in the way of the United States's potential to deal with this well.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you get a long laundry list of the things that that got in the way. Wearing a mask became a, a political nameplate,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: that people knew what you were made of. You're made of, you know, you're made of flesh like I am, and I want you to still be alive right. So that list of things and polarization, I think, is near the top Mm -hmm. of wanting the other side to be wrong so that we can be even more right. It's really tripping up your country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really and it's tripping up mine, too. But yeah, there's a heavy price we pay for for being right.
0: Yes. And not and somewhere along the line, we we lost sight of right is defined by many perspectives, not one.
1: And, and there isn't a truth. Right. There isn't truth. Truth should always be in quotation marks.
0: Yeah yeah. Uh, and it's about the sharing of perspectives and coming to what you called before a shared understanding because that's one of the things I talk about all the time. We have to have a shared understanding. So before uh, we can have shared meaning, we have to understand each other's point of view. That's right. and have a shared understanding of what that means. That's right, um, and then and normally, from there go to expectations,
1: and 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 normally we we need each other's help yes. to get there. Yeah, I I think of Anne Marie, my wife, uses an example of the school bus driver mm-hmm. who suddenly, incredibly angry, throws on the brakes, scares all of the kids on that bus, turns around and tell tells those kids in no uncertain terms to sit down and shut up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he gets in all kinds of trouble because the parents are mad and the school's mad. And, and that person is now you know in serious trouble. But why, why did he say that? Mm-hmm. He said that because he needs to focus. Yeah. He needs to concentrate. He's trying to keep other kids, other people's kids safe. Mm-hmm. He wants to get the kids to the school on time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There is so much legitimate underneath what he chose to say in that moment. And we have to kind of dare ourselves to do that digging to help each other get to what is legitimate, even if it seems crazy to us that this person has anything legitimate underneath what they're saying. Right. that, That it's challenging. I'm not saying it's easy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you seen that's been successful? And I'll, I, I think that's an interesting point. And I want to call it out for my listeners in that, in, you know, in my book, we talk about insensitive questions. And, you know, the only way you know that it's an insensitive question versus a question that is a power over question is that you have to understand the heart of the person who asked it. And there are just some questions that we just don't know about because it's not within our realm of experience. And yet we're so on fire. That hearing these questions cause us to, you know, mouth does not engage with the brain anymore. And we move from an emotional part of being angry and put upon or put or feel like we've been put down versus being in this place of what you're describing is you have to be curious enough to to see what's in this person's heart Mm -hmm. before you can make judgment about that individual. And we seem to have lost that quality being able to discern, and it's easy to lump everybody in the kind of a, you said it, so you must be bad, you must be a racist, you must be a sexist, you must be a fill in the blankest" uh-huh. kind of individual. What I'd like to talk about is, is because you've worked on both sides, how do you get the two sides to lower the temperature in their mind and their body, that emotional temperature that really does cut off our brain ability to, you know, do critical thinking? What have you seen that works? What have you seen that, you know, in, that helps and has this sustainable idea of how do we lower the temperature so that we can actually hear each other?
1: Um, again, and again, most of this comes from the way I see my wife, who's a very practiced mediator, work. And at one level, it's about creating some form of ritual. Mm-hmm. Often, if Anne-Marie is mediating, she will bake a pie the night before so that when parties come into the room there's a chance to hand each other some plates or some forks or a piece of pie I mean who doesn't like a piece of pie right Right. especially if it's going to be a tough meeting (laughs) and there's just these little touches and I just see you know people start the process of maybe sharing or maybe not and 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 so there's there's that kind of artistry to this Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but then to me it often feels like there's a number of different currencies on the table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's emotion. There's uh, different versions of the story and different versions of the facts. Mm-hmm. There are some established facts, some things that are actually true in, in your reality and in mine. There's also identity, meaning what am I making this situation mean about myself and mean about the other person? hmm So imagine a table full of, you know, 20 different kinds of of currency.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's really tough. So we have to almost find a way to turn each of those currencies and exchange them into one. And and I really think information is that currency. Okay. Emotion is not the enemy, it's full of information. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Our emotions are the most amazing radar system that we have and we should pay attention to that when somebody you know maybe starts to get frustrated and their voice wobbles or their mm-hmm. eyes tear up in a conversation mm-hmm. I immediately see Anne-Marie ask a question like this is obviously painful and maybe you could tell us about where those tears are coming from right no that's it that's a, that's not just a sensitive question that's a sensing question that's allowing the person to take that emotion that they are experiencing and convert it to the information that's dying to be put on that table right right failure is is chock full of information when failure happens we move on we pretend it didn't fail absolutely and and it's actually full of information if we take the time to talk about it Mm -hmm. success every book every management book in the world says it's really important to celebrate success Mm -hmm. well success is also full of information so rather than just celebrating success let's sit down at the same table with the same look on our face and the same tone in our voice and break it down for the information that it has to provide us to figure out a better way forward. Right. I see, I see that being the sort of person that can continually convert whatever comes at you into information Mm -hmm. and, and put that information and something, something quite transformational happens when, People are allowed to articulate what's underneath. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody said we're dying we're dying to be seen and heard and understood. Yep. And I think that's that's really true. Yeah. And life is really hard and it yep. damages people and it makes them protect themselves from ever being hurt that way again. Mm-hmm. And and you start to, I don't know, understand that there's humanity even in the people that you're shaking your head at.
2: Yes.
0: And our ability to forgive people in those situations to know that, you know, the one thing we don't want more in our life is pain. And when we leave people in pain or damage through embarrassment or guilt, shame, blame, uh-huh. making them feel irrelevant in the process, uh-huh. that what we're doing is either opening a wound that's already been there and, and making it bigger or we're recreating a wound that is waiting for the rest for some other incident that is going to make it worse and begin to fester until the person no longer is able to hear and and find solutions that are about the greater good which is what you talked about in the very beginning. This has been an amazing conversation and I so appreciate your time. Your idea of going from leadership may be the role that you play but being a good mentor is really the, the vehicle by which leadership emerges, moves from place to place and creates a wave that is really sustainable. It's, a, it's really something very profound for people to take away from here. And I hope that that is true. Any closing words, final thoughts, lessons that people can walk away with?
1: I'm not sure. This conversation has been good for me too, Denise. And it's hard to just kind of put a cherry on top to say, "Yep, I knew that's what we were going to talk about uh, because (laughs) I didn't really know what we were going to talk about. So, (laughs) It's just been such a pleasure to get to know you and to be part of your podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. How can people get a hold of you?
1: Our website is roygroup.net, R-O-Y-G-R-O-U-P.net. And we are uh, always up for a call to talk about the things that people are trying to make happen.
0: Good, good, good. Once again, you have been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. My podcast is on the C-Suite network. You can listen there or you can go over to Apple and leave a wonderful review if you like this. And even if you don't like it, you know what I always say, if you don't like it, share it with someone because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that you're going to become enlightened with and it will be remarkable and change your life. With that, I'll talk to you next week and see ya. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's gonna start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change, Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.